Welcome to the Faith Christian Fellowship of Montego Bay's podcast. We are reaching for His glory through building and teaching. I hope you are encouraged and edified by this message. I want to read two portions of scripture as we get going here, spiritual warfare. I want to start in Ephesians chapter 6 and we're going to read verse number 10. Well, from verse 10 down to about verse 13. Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus while they were having a very challenging time, but it is very applicable to us today. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So don't be strong. Don't fortify yourself in your own strength. There's so many people come out for spiritual warfare in their own strength. And over time, we've seen so many that have gone down because they were in their own strength. So Paul said, be strong in the Lord. And it is very noteworthy that we we pay a lot of attention to that. Be strong in the Lord, because in the Lord, you can't go wrong. You, You will always win. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. All right. Put on the whole armor of God that he may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. The fact that he said, put on the whole armor of God must be understood that you could have half of the armor on. So he's urging us not to just put a part of the armor on, but to put on the whole thing. So by putting on the whole thing, you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery of the devil. Believe me, he's cunning. As we have said before, that he has corrupted wisdom. And, you know, he uses it because his corrupt uh, wisdom will cause him to be witty to the degree that he can and um, overpower some people. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And that is very, very important that we don't fight the wrong enemy because that's a tragedy sometimes when you spend all of your energy fighting the wrong enemy. We have to focus our energy on what matters and our real problem, our real enemy is not our our own people, is not our fellow man. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Heavenly places is speaking to the environment or what we call the heavenlies. So our fight is spiritually based. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God. So uh, here is the word of God saying the same thing again. Take up the whole armor of God, the whole thing, not part of it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So take on the whole armor, put on the whole thing. And two times it said that in about three verses. And why you put on the whole armor? that you may be able to stand or overcome. In other words, you're not going to overcome if you don't put on the whole thing on. So he said, put on the whole armor that you might be able to stand in the evil day. Now, the evil day 
is when the enemy comes to put pressure on you. And many of us have had those days when, you know, things happen just one behind the other. Sometimes they say trouble come in bunches. That's the evil day. Job experienced the evil day. And Paul said in Corinthians, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. That's the evil day when you're troubled on every side. So we have to put on the whole arm of God that we may be able to stand in the evil day because the evil day can be a lot of pressure. It is what we call the spiritual warfare when, when the enemy turns up the pressure and we have to put on the whole arm of God that we may be able to overcome those days and having done all to stand, stand, therefore stand in the things of God so that you can be counted worthy. And some of you right now are experiencing the evil day, you're experiencing intensity in spiritual warfare, I want to say to you that you are not alone. And especially if you're on the front line, this is going to happen more often than not. But the antidote, if you say that way to that, is the what the word of God says, put on the whole armor to stand in the hour of temptation, test, and trial. Don't quit, don't give up, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I want to just read another portion of scripture out of Isaiah 66, verse eight. It says, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to, to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was, in, Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Let me remind you that Zion is the church. Zion speaks to the church. So Zion, which is you and I, and the millions of believers around the world, Zion has the ability and the capacity to give birth, right? Zion has the ability and the capacity to give birth. Zion was designed to give birth to the purposes of God in the earth, in, in, in this dispensation that we live. So as a part of Zion, you carry that responsibility to give birth to the things of God. And all of us, every single one of us, have our specific thing or area in which we need to give birth. And some people have been pregnant for a mighty long time. But in Isaiah, it says, as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And so if you've been pregnant for an extended period of time with the things of God and you, are, you have not given birth, then some travailing needs to take place. We need to trust the Lord that you will give birth 
to the things of God, those things that you're carrying that your generation and the next generation need in order to further extend the kingdom of God here on earth. So for especially for those who have not yet given birth to the things that God has set in their spirit, you have to keep off the deaf angel and the spirit of infirmity in, from your space and in your life, especially in this time, because it is obvious that there is the, the death angel that is on the loose. There's a spirit of infirmity that the enemy is trying to suffocate you in your own space, the space that you should be breathing in, breathing the things of God is almost like the enemy is closing in, trying to uh, suffocate you. And you have to take your stand and ward off, push back, keep off any spirit that would hinder you from giving birth before you transition from this life. Because we need what you're carrying. There is a reason why you're carrying what de God deposited in your spirit. But you need to really die empty. You need to give it. You need to deliver it before you transition. Now, Joshua and Caleb were not born in Egypt. They were born in the wilderness. So they did not have to deal with the philosophy, the culture, and the, the mentality, or in, in short, the belief system that many of the other Israelites had to deal with. Those Israelites that were born in Egypt and Egypt and cultured in Egypt and had that struggle leaving Egypt and continuing on God's way, Joshua and Caleb didn't quite have to deal with that. And that actually helped them to see the situation in Canaan with Canaan land differently when they were sent as spies. They saw it different from the other 10 spies. And I believe this helped them to, to see it because they did not have the kind of perspective that the culture of Egypt uh, gave to uh, many of the Israelites. So it's interesting that God will even design where you are born to protect what you need to give birth to. There's a reason why you were born in Jamaica. There's a reason why you were born in the United States or wherever you were born. God will skillfully direct that in order to protect that which you need to uh, give birth to. So here, here's what I'm saying. Some of the Israelites that left Egypt were dominated by the culture of Egypt and the philosophy of Egypt. Some of them were never, ever going to make it to the promised land. The, the mentality that they had and all of that, it's just that God was delivering Israel from Egypt and all of them had to be delivered in terms of make their way out of Egypt. God was leading all of them out. But the mentality and attitude of some of them, they were really never going to make it to the promised land. 
But I want you to hear this. They had something to deliver that was needed for the promised land. So although they were not going to make it, they had something to deliver that was needed for the promised land. So remember now, Joshua and Caleb, their parents never made it to the promised land, never made it to Canaan, but their parents had to leave Egypt to deliver them, to give birth to them so that they could go to the promised land. And that the promise, not that they could go, that the promised land could become a reality. It is interesting that none was Joshua's father. We read that all the time in Joshua 1 about Joshua, the son of Nun. And the only time that the name Nun was mentioned in the Bible, the person Nun, was in relation to being Joshua's father, Joshua, the son of Nun. Read it again. Nowhere else. His job was to deliver Joshua. Caleb, his father was, I think the name is Jephthune. J-E-P-H-U-N-N-E-H. And every time, except for once, when his name was mentioned, it was that he was the father of Caleb and his brothers. There's no history of anything that he did. And I'm concluding that his job in leaving Egypt was to deliver Caleb so that the promised land could become a reality. In one of his famous speeches, Dr. Martin Luther King said to the people, I can see the promised land. I might not get there with you, but mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And he went on to talk to them about, you know, equipping them and being strong and all of that. What I'm saying is that just like Moses, you might not get to see everything that was prophesied by the prophets from the mouth of God in your lifetime. But you have the responsibility to deliver those who will make it happen and see, because that's how life is. It's a succession. One generation shall praise thy works unto another. When one generation wants to see everything that God ever promised, that is selfish. That's not how it was designed to be. One generation run their leg of the race and pass the baton to the next generation. And so we now have to ask ourselves, did you pass Individually, did you pass the baton? As a generation, did we pass any baton or drop the baton? Here's something about this race. And this is why I like the hurdlers race, you know, because you can fall down and get up and run and still, if, if you're strong enough, win that race and all of that. You're not disqualified. This is it about this race in life. You're not disqualified. So even if you drop the baton, along the way you can pick up that thing and run and make sure that you pass that baton to the next generation joshua and caleb's parents they left egypt they never made it to the promised land but they delivered 
what was needed to make the promised land a reality. I'm saying to you tonight that the climate all over the world right now is one of intense spiritual warfare from east to west, north to south. And it intensifies with each passing day. And the climate right now is ideal for the devil to carry out his game. He loves to work in a climate of uncertainty. There is so much uncertainty being circulated around the world among people. You know, is, is the vaccine real or is it real? Should, that, should I take it or should I not take it? What is happening? There's so many, so much uncertainty. And the, the enemy is behind much of this, trying to destabilize your mind. That's the climate that he works in. There is confusion. There is fear, so much fear all over the place because of all that is happening. Doubt. This is the kind of environment that the enemy thrives in. And so in the realm of the spirit, we, the believers now, have to do what I call operation pushback. We have to take control of uh, especially our immediate environment so that we can breathe peace, that we can breathe some sanity, that we can breathe life, that we can breathe hope, that we can breathe God's direction. Man, we've been breathing so much death and sickness and uh, uncertainty. We have to push back in the spirit so that we can begin to breathe the life of God again. That, that when we go around each other, we can say, well, you know what the Lord said this morning? That when we see each other, whether it be at, at, at the church building or on the road or talk on the telephone, we can breathe life. It's a long time that some people have not been able to say with conviction and uh, certainty. This is the day that the Lord hath me. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Because you're wondering if your business is going to get going again. If your house is going to be repossessed. Or if this is going to work or that is going to work. So you're not breathing the things of God. So here comes our opportunity to breathe again by pushing back that which has been trying to stifle us. Say, no, God, devil, you, you're not going to take over this house. But we're not going to allow the confusion to come here where everybody is biting against each other and we can't even say, bless the Lord, oh, my soul again, because that which is in the world has found its way right into our homes. I declare this day that we have triumphed through the blood of Jesus. We have triumphed through the blood of the lamb and no weapon 
forms, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. For we have triumphed through the blood of the Lamb. So Operation Pushback is on. You got to start waking up early again and, and just declaring that the Lord is good. That those that are with us are more than those that are against us. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't get engulfed in uh, whether or not the, the winter tourist season is going to really start again in the way it should in June. Hey, it will happen if you get out there and do Operation Pushback. There is more than just a spirit of infirmity here. There's a fight for control. And we can't relinquish that control to the enemy because we'll be in trouble. Now, I want to remind you that whoever controls the battlefield in war has tremendous advantage and set themselves up to win. They're likely to win if they're able to control the battlefield over extended period of, periods of time. Now, there are three main battlefields in spiritual warfare, and the enemy is working extremely hard to control all three battlefields. And we have to also work hard to control those battlefields. He's working hard to control them. We have to work hard to control them. We cannot afford to concede these battlefields to the enemy because if we do then he will be in an advantageous position to hammer us day after day let's quickly remind you of of the three battlefields the first one is the heavenless the general environment your declarations your prayers your worship must go out into the heavenless. That is a part of the operation pushback. You cannot uh, be silent. Your praises, your intercession, your declarations must go out in the heavenless. Otherwise, you're conceding the space. And you might be conceding a particular space that you were assigned to be in charge of and you can't afford to open any door to the enemy. So that is why the devil will do everything to shut you up. Yeah, he wants to shut you up so you hear people, well, I'm just gonna go and sit down in church and not say anything because I don't want to offend anybody. The, the devil wants to shut you up. He's trying to back you in a corner. So he wants to stop you from releasing the things of God in the heavenlies. And by the way, let me say to you, you don't even have to go to the church building to do that. You get going with that every morning you wake up. In your car, in your walk, you can do that day after day after day. When the enemy is able to get the praisers to say, I am going to keep my mouth shut, then he has got you covered. And by praisers, I don't mean the praise and worship leaders. I'm talking about all of us that should be declaring the praise of God. So we declare, we will not be silent. In fact, oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. 
because you have turned my morning into dancing. I refuse to allow the devil to shut me up. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress. Yeah, don't say it in your heart. Say it out loud. That silent prayer don't work. The Bible says when you pray, say, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Well, you know, Pastor, I, I really say it in my heart, but I'm not the kind of person that just do it that way. Well, you know, Bible didn't say whoever uh, say it in his heart or has it in his heart. It says, whoever say to the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall obey if he don't know. So we're not talking about praying in your heart here. We're talking about declaring, sending out what you need to release into the heavenlies to counter whatever is happening there so we can nullify what the enemy is trying to impose on us. The second battlefield is the mind. Now, we know that Jesus Christ has won the victory on our behalf. And we can say thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. But when it comes to individuals, battles are first won or lost in the mind. The gateway to both the soul and the spirit is the mind. Our lives are motivated, directed, and ultimately controlled by the thoughts that dominate our minds. And so you should not give the enemy the opportunity to control your mind. So that is why we have to renew our minds daily. It's a daily thing. You can't renew it this month for next month. Daily, you have to renew your mind. You've got to wash your mind with the word. You've got to read it, listen it, discuss the word, pray in tongues, sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Wash your mind, renew your mind, take control of your mind. And I know that there are days that are tougher than others, but we have to be relentless in the battle for our mind. Because if the enemy is able to control your mind, you will be able to control your life. The third battlefield is the church. The devil will always try to create instability in the local church. I have never, ever been a part of a local church that the enemy did not try to sow envy and strife and division among the brethren. It's a battlefield. And some people just buy into what the enemy is doing. So anywhere at all you have the local church established, the enemy will try to sow strife, try to set believers against each other. It is one of the three battlefields of spiritual warfare, the church. If the enemy is able to, to, to do that, then he controls the environment of the church and the manifestations of the supernatural things of God will be shut down. So that is why unity, unity is, is paramount, very important in the church. It is interesting that in Ephesians chapter four, one of the things that I think has escaped many people who read that text is the part on, on, on unity. It says, God has given apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, for the equipping of the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry till we all come 
into a place of unity. That's one of the, the job of the fivefold ministry to ensure unity in the church among the believers. But the devil has had a field day in that area how many times because churches, local churches are so competitive against each other. And then in each local church, we don't pay attention to the things that the enemy is doing and we, we allow divisions and strife to fester among us. I am charging you tonight that you take the lead to ensure that there is no division between you and anyone are in your space. Man, if you have to go to church early and break that spirit and dispel that spirit, we need to find a way to ensure that we walk in unity so that we give no space to the devil. He's a liar and this warfare, he will come in many subtle ways to try and undermine the work of the Lord and to destroy your life. Building altars is a, a very important way of possessing the land, of taking control of the space. And the enemy is always working to try and have people build altars to him. In fact, you know, let me say, this is one of the, the dangers of abortion outside of the, the immoral side of it. Whenever blood is shed in the earth, it is shed since creation, it is shed unto God or unto the devil. Now, since the blood of Jesus has been shed, there is no more need to shed blood unto God. But the enemy enjoys that kind of altar, the shedding of blood to the kingdom of darkness. What I'm saying is that abortion includes the shedding of blood. So when that blood is shed, it is not to God, it is to the devil. So that's an altar being built unto the devil. In fact, that's a blood covenant being established with the kingdom of darkness right there. You give the kingdom of darkness permission to interfere with your repro re reproductive system and, and other parts of your body. That's a blood covenant. That's the danger of shedding blood, building altars unto the enemy. We need to build altars to God. First, starting in our home. It's good to schedule some time at work, five minutes or so. You just get away from everybody and, and pray over your workplace, over your classroom. Build altar to the Lord wherever God sends you. I mean, you don't have to go in front of everybody and start jumping around. No, you can, get, you can do that in bath. What I'm saying is that you can't afford for more offerings and sacrifices to be going from your home or your sphere of influence from your community to the kingdom of darkness than to the kingdom of God. More offerings, more praise, more sacrifices must be going to God. So that's why you have to continue to worship the Lord and build those altars, especially in this time of spiritual warfare. You see, you can't run when the enemy attack. Like Josephus, you have to counterattack. You have to go on the offensive 
and you have to be constant. God does not want us to co-possess anything with the kingdom of darkness because that would mean sharing the influence of the kingdom of God. And God said, I, I, I don't share my glory with any man. The fountain cannot produce sweet water and bitter at the same time. So we're not, we're not co-possessing anything. So therefore, you have to be relentless in your sacrifices, in your offerings, in your praise and your declaration. And even if it looks like it's not going to work because that's what the enemy will try and do and play tricks on your mind. You've got to keep going at it so that you can see the manifestations of the things of God in your life. Not just one time, but in a consistent way. The children of Israel marched around Jericho. And when they shouted, the Bible said that the walls fell down. That shout was not just noise. It was a shout enabled by the spirit of God. And like only God can, in one moment, that shout in one moment just shut down every demonic force. And in that space, bring them into subjection so that the victory could be manifested. And I want to say to you, as you lift up your voice in praise and declaration and intercession, God's going to enable that which you are releasing into the heavenlies so that the enemy is not able to control that space. In, in this season, in this season, the enemy is trying to shut down your worship. He's trying to shut down your intercession. And anything that he can use to shut down your worship, to shut down your intercession, individually and collectively, he will have a crack at it. So you will find, if you examine closely, there are serious attacks in those areas. People come up sick, so you, you can't you feel like you can't pray and all that kind of stuff, and or things come in your way that would try to cause you to be depressed rather than to pray and all of that. He's trying to steal your worship. He's trying to steal your intercession. You have to make up your mind that you will not be silent. And this is for every one of us. Now, did you know that there is no such example in the Bible as anybody having a ministry of intercession or any group? Yeah, I know that sounds a little off, but you can check it again. And the reason for that is that we all need to stand in the gap and lift our voices. There's no such thing as, you know, one set of people interceding and the others are able to go about their business and do what they want to do. No, all of us need to stand in the gap. I know that there, there are those who go around and talk about, you know, their ministry of intercession and all of that, but you can't find it in the Bible. All of us need to stand in the gap and declare to the heaven, heavenlies. If you read the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when those three armies came up against Josaphat and, and, and the rest of uh, the people of God, the Bible said Josaphat called a fast and he called out the babies, the young one, the women, the, the, the young people, the men, everybody 
went into fasting and intercession, standing in the gap before God. God gave them the victory. The victory was manifested. Now, I'm not saying that it is wrong for people to get together and pray and intercede in groups. That's not what I'm saying at all. I am saying that it is all of us responsibility to do it. So some shouldn't feel like they should stay home while the others are meeting for intercession because they are not a part of the intercessory group. It's all of us business. So we have to be in operation pushback together so that we can breathe again, that we can exhale the peace of God so that we can testify of the goodness of the Lord in our lives. We thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and have a great day. You may contact us by email at fcfmontegobay at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at fcfmobay and on Facebook at fcfmontegobay.